0: Hello, and welcome to the Rogue Monkey Podcast. We're the show that shares stories and insights from different people all around the world, and our hope is to give you inspiration to challenge yourself as we explore some fascinating journeys from sports to business, from arts to extreme adventurers, with previous guests including the Captain of the Red Arrows, Netflix producers, and Olympic champions. This week, we're speaking to somebody who's competed at three Olympic games, making her career in flying through the air, diving into water at 35 miles an hour. Following on from our last few episodes where we explored extreme decision making, we dive into the mind of someone who has had to make a huge number of decisions in under one and a half seconds, the consequences of which can be extremely serious. We explore how the lessons from that extreme environment and the journey of an elite athlete can be transferred into post-athlete life. Just before we start today's discussion, a quick reminder just to give us a quick follow on social media and keep up to date as we continue to share lots of inspiring content. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. If you want to know more about The Rogue Monkey, please just drop us an email via hello at therogemonkey.org or check out our website. Now on to today's discussion and we are going to dive, excuse the pun, straight into it. An episode 59 of the Road Monkey podcast, Tonya Couch, achieving the Olympic dream. But what comes next? Taking lessons from sport into life.
1: Hello, Tonya. Welcome to the show. How are you doing?
2: Uh, hi, are you all right? I'm good. Good, thank you. Nice to meet you.
1: And you uh, excited to share a little bit of time with you and explore your journey but to give our listeners and viewers a bit of an introduction kind of who are you and what's your headline journey been?
2: So my name's Tonya Couch and I was a highball diver um, for 18 long years yeah I had the most amazing time went to three Olympic Games three Commonwealth Games and just so many more competitions as time went on.
1: Well plenty to explore there for sure but I'm really curious to kind of go back to where it all started because you got thrown into the sports world pretty young and got hooked into I guess of what became a full-time profession very young. So how did that all come about right at the start?
2: Yes, I was a gymnast. Since well, I was gymnast from 7 till about 10, so 3 years, and I dislocated, broke and fractured my elbow all at once. I pinged off the bars and like I think a few days before my 10th birthday. And uh, yeah, off to the hospital I went and they said, actually, you'll never be able to put weight on your arm ever again. And for a person being so like crazy and sporty, that was a big shock to the system. So I worked really, really hard with the physio and I actually was able to put weight on again. But gymnastics side kind of felt a little bit like uh, a setback. So somebody actually said to my mum, why don't she try something like diving? It's very similar. Good fun. And off I went and I loved it, absolutely loved it. I met amazing friends. It seemed a little bit more, well, less strict than gymnastics. You know, everyone seemed a little bit like more of a family and it was really, really nice. And yeah, first competition after six weeks, I won it. And I think after that, the rest is history, really. I, I stayed on to dive in. So yeah, best move of my life. So thank you to the bars that actually dislocated my elbow. <laughs>
1: Just as a little disclaimer for listeners out there, we're not advocating that you go and dislocate your elbow because it's going to help you find a path in life. <laughs>
2: Do not try this at home.
1: <laughs> um, I guess, I mean, you've already mentioned there about the fact you get your mum kind of was helped signposting you into it. So what was those early years like? Because at that such a young age you obviously you know you give a very wide-eyed approach to the world you can do anything you can do what you want but you, you're obviously reliant on parents your immediate friends and family and stuff around you so what was that early environment like for you kind of going into that sport
2: yeah um well because I, I was always one to be into sport you know like me and my sister was very different my sister wasn't into sport she did a little bit of gymnastics but it wasn't really her thing so I think my mum and dad knew I needed to do something otherwise I would be climbing up the walls and all sorts so yeah as soon as I went into the diving world I just felt like it was a second family and it just fitted into my life perfectly and luckily for my mum and dad they were so supportive they used to drive me here there and everywhere shame I probably made them very skint throughout the years but sport was pretty much my life really you know, I, I, looking back now, God, I can't even. I can't even imagine life without sport. But yeah, it was, it was pretty mad. Pretty mad. Do you
1: think? Do you think? Obviously, you had quite a, a big challenge and hurdle getting into sport per se with the injury. When you went into diving, was it plain sailing across three Olympics from starting out, or was there any no, challenges no. along the way?
2: No, there was a few chapters along the way. Um, uh, I'm sure we'll get to it later, but there was. In 2012, even though I technically qualified to go to the Olympics, um, they didn't actually send me as an individual diver, even though that I'd been you know, unbeaten throughout the year. Um, yeah, that was a little bit of a hurdle because the boss sent somebody that was his next door neighbour even though she'd finished below me so yeah it was definitely definitely not an easy ride for me especially the older I got.
1: How's that impacted you now because obviously the resilience I guess that we build up through sport amongst many other traits kind of take I guess carry forwards into the rest of our lives so amongst those some of those hurdles what have you taken from some of those earlier experiences in sport and that you still use today?
2: I think if you work hard at something to be fair first of all if you enjoy something then you work hard at it and if something tells you no you can't do it or something sets you back as long as you've tried and you've proved to yourself people know around you that for example when I didn't qualify people knew around me that I should have gone and I think as long as people knew that then that's that was never an issue like So just work your butt off. If you want something, you go get it. Don't let anybody tell you no.
1: So I'm guessing three Olympics, three very different Olympics in terms of your experiences there. Talk talk us through that journey, especially now looking back on it, because I think at the time it can be very much you just immerse yourself so much in that world. Now you've stepped out of it a little bit and looked back, what are kind of the standout memories of those different Olympics you went to?
2: Um, Do you know what? There's so many, so many standout memories. Do you know what the main memory for me was? In 2008, so I think I was about 18, 19 years old. It was my first Olympic Games. I went with Tom, both from Plymouth, our first one. Even though the whole place was amazing, the village was incredible. The people were like famous that you're having I was having breakfast with Andy Murray at one point um, but none of those memories will stick to me as much as the memory when I made it to the final which I never ever went in the Olympic Games expecting to final and at that young age I remember seeing my mum and dad up in the crowd when I marched on and for me that was the most amazing experience and something that i will never ever forget With my dad with this big gb flag on my mum with a, a gb f- um, flag dress that she had made um just cheering and with massive smiles on her face honestly that there for me hands down will be any other memory in my lifetime crazy isn't it
1: no it's awesome and i think you hear a lot of that from from especially athletes that their parents have formed such a huge part of their journey that when they look back, those are some of, I guess, the standout memories because for them, it's emotionally, it means the world to them. Um, And it's it's personal to you. No one can take that away.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, they've dropped me seven o'clock in the morning at times to the pool, then picked me up, dropped me to school, take me from school in the afternoon back to the pool. You know, they have been a massive part of my life for them to be able to watch, you know, you go into the biggest event of your life and making a final was just they bought tickets to watch the final because well why wouldn't you if you're in you're at the games they didn't buy it to expecting me to final and the fact that they were able to watch me in the semis and the prelim no the prelims and the semis and the final was just yeah sensational absolutely incredible.
1: And you were quite a trailblazer kind of looking back and doing a bit of reading before our discussion today that you were one of the most successful female divers of Great Britain ever had up to that point so you were in uncharted territory what was that like because I think often if you take a, a Tom for example you know he could have lent on people like perhaps Leon and other people that had previously come through the system whereas for you being that right out in front what was that like?
2: I liked it I mean throughout my whole career I kind of went into The sport with no pressure on myself. There's times, obviously, there's going to be huge amounts of pressure, but everyone always used to be like, "What's your aim? What's your goal?" And I was like, "Oh, just to do well." And and some coaches might might not have liked it, but it worked for me because if I went in there saying, "I'm going to go in there to come sixth place," then it probably end up coming sixteenth place, you know. So I used to be used to go in there and be like, "No, I'm going to enjoy this, and I'm going to try my hardest." And every single time that is what the outcome was Um, because pressure is good to have a little bit like nerves, but too much pressure, it will just completely crumble and go the opposite way. And I think a lot of the young divers now that are up and coming is all well and good when they're young, but then as soon as they get into the pressured environment, it's a whole new ball game. So I never really let anyone affect me in that sense I was like no I'm, I'm just going to dip in. and I'm going to have fun <laughs> let's see where that ends up and it worked it worked.
1: And what was that like I guess going to your final Olympics because by that point you've got some very young members on the team coming through and they're looking up to you I guess for that sort of advice and, uh, and were there any kind of pearls of wisdom that you passed on to I guess that next crop of divers?
2: I think so so Lois from Leeds um, was my single partner she was 16 at the time so Yeah, I was like, what, 10 years older than her? Um, And they had put us together eight months before Olympic Games, which is a little bit crazy because some of these athletes from like Canada, they've been together 10 years, 10 years to do synchro. You know, eight months, we hardly even know each other. But I feel like over a few competitions before the Olympic Games, I might have helped her in some sense of the nerves to calm her down. Like, you know, this is a big deal being with someone a lot older than you, you know, Hopefully I was fun for her, but I, I helped her in little things like she wouldn't eat breakfast on the morning of our competition because she was so nervous. But by the time the Olympics come and after doing a few World Series, she was eating breakfast. She was laughing. So I hope without me realizing a few of my traits have like gone over to her. And now she's the older one and she's doing the same to the younger one. So hopefully without me realizing I've helped her quite a lot.
1: That's cool. I want to talk a little bit more just about Rio because for the divers especially with some of the challenges around the facility, the watercolour changing halfway through the competition.
2: I kind of liked it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well I was going to ask especially having been you know Beijing was such a a crazy event. And then obviously you had the home Olympics as well. Going into Rio, there was probably some things that probably upset and derailed quite a few other athletes out there that didn't have those experiences. So, what kind of, I guess, tools and wisdom did you draw upon when you're out there and some of those challenges came to you?
2: Just to learn to look at it in a positive way. So Paul's green, everyone was like, Oh no, what are we gonna do? I was like, Brilliant, this is class, we can see. The pool, instead of seeing the sky and the pool, because the sky's blue, the pool's blue. When you're in an outdoor diving pool, you ain't got a clue. You have not got a clue. So I was like, Lois, the pool's green. We, we've we got this. And and it works really well. We dived really good. I think we dived the best we ever dived, apart from the last dive. I think the pressure did get to her a little bit, which, understandably, 16 years old, you know. Um, but I just like to turn everything into a positive and clearly. It it did work for me in my whole experience of diving, really. And I think I'm quite laid back, which some people overthink. Some people be like, "Oh my god, the green pool! What we gonna do? I'm gonna it's gonna get me ill." It did get me ill, but I was like, "Hey, (laughs) you know." So as long as you think the the pool is half full, not half empty, is just the best way to be.
1: That's a great mentality to have. At what point? And I we talked before we started recording about I guess what comes next. At what point on this journey, when you you know you finished three Olympics, you had all these accolades, won these international medals, did you start thinking, I really need to start thinking about what comes next? Was that something that happened whilst you were going through I guess the latter part of your career, or did you stop diving and then go, Ah, uh, what now?
2: I think the last year of my career, I stopped and thought, right, okay, I'm going to go into coaching because that's what I love, um, and that's kind of all I know but i wish i kind of thought a little bit longer i think my head was just so far in the game i kind of forgot that there is a life after diving um so yeah it did it it was it was a tough one and it was it was weird it was maybe good for the first year and then after a year it was a little bit like okay this is actually happens now my diving has stopped i am in the real world i had my first job at the age of 28 or 27 and that, that was weird But, um, yeah, I kind of wish I looked back now and thought a little bit clearer and a little bit earlier on. But, hey-ho, can't do anything now about it.
1: (laughs) Something as well that I I guess jumps out for me is that the, the support, I hope, generationally has got better and better and better you know probably 20 years ago no one was having the conversation about what comes next and perhaps through you know technology and I know you're quite a big social media user you've got a much better ability to I guess forge your own path of what comes next instead of hoping that somebody hands something to you so what's that been like coming through as I guess the new school generation of athletes because I know talking to say Olympians from like the 90s and the 80s you know when they finished if they didn't medal that was it that they would occasionally get brought up in conversation at a dinner party but that would be it there would be no career post that they would have to then start from zero whereas so how's that been for you I
2: don't know because I've kind of kept my social media following has gone down a little bit of course um I don't I don't know how why I've done that I think I'm just myself um I'm not really one I don't know I really don't know it's it's so strange because luckily social media has helped us do that like you said back in the 90s that would have been like see you later where have they gone um I don't know that's a, that was a really tough question I don't know about that one
1: <laughs> that's all right tough questions are good um, one thing I'm really curious about because in one of our recent episodes we uh interviewed a guy called Brad who talked about extreme decision making and we were talking about polar explorers and people that survive if you like in extreme environments and every time I I watch an international diving event it blows my mind when they turn around and say right it's going to be over in like one and a half seconds or whatever the time is and yet there's so many intricate things that you have to think about now in life we often overthink things that might go on for days or weeks and yet you've sometimes got seconds to think about five or six things and just make snap decisions so how did you number one how did you do that like what was this the way in which you forged that mindset of being able to think really quickly in the moment but now how have you used that going forward into your I guess post diving career
2: yeah um it's funny actually because yeah it is done like that but sometimes we've all said to each other so it's not just me that feels this way we've all said to each other sometimes you can have a whole conversation with yourself in that tiny seconds but it feels like you're you're going on and on and on. I, your brain must just go <laughs> mental because I could have a long conversation in the middle of my dive, yet I'm only in the air for one and a half seconds. It's, it's nuts, isn't it? I think moving on in my life, like you said, a lot of people overthink and it goes on a few days. Um, with sport, some people, it's not, it's not the answer for everyone, but some people, like you said, really do overthink and I have never been one to overthink of things. Like a couple of my friends actually said before, they were like, God, I wish I was you. Why do I overthink all the time? And I'm just like, mm. <laughs> off with the fairies." But I think that was my diving. If I overthought or something, I wouldn't have been able to take off. You know, you can stand at the end of that board. And if you overthink, you end up forgetting what you can do. So a lot of divers, if they overthink, they can't take off. So they have to they have to walk down the stairs, restart. So I learned watching that that I cannot overthink. So sometimes I was in a handstand singing Britney Spears <laughs> because if I start thinking oh, I've got to flick, twist and somersault, then I couldn't do it. So I, I would just not think think anything or have a little sing song, take off. And then I think well, I'm in the air. And that's when the full on conversation can happen in the air to yourself. It's nuts. But I think um, that's what helped me with my diving world. And even my mum and dad laugh and say, like, she don't ever think, but it works. Just keep it that way and just carry on life like that, really.
1: Talking about thought processes. What is it like walking out in, say, the Water Cube or at London Aquatic Centre with fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000 people there, especially at a home event? Um, and obviously, being so young when you were in Beijing, just talk us through that because obviously we see the dives and we see all of that, but we don't see what goes on behind the eyes when you actually get off the top ladder and you're standing out there and you, you do you take it all in or do you go into tunnel vision mode? Like, just talk happened, us
2: through. I'd say, um, I remember in London myself and Sarah before our synchro event put our heads through the door and then we got caught so the whole crowd just like cheered and then when we went back we were like oh my god oh my god we have to go out there so then all of a sudden we had jelly legs which was never fun but yeah as soon as you hear that cheering you just get like goosebumps and you're like come on I'm gonna do this um and then as soon as the whistle goes, everyone's silence. You forget, you completely forget that people are even there. You're just in the zone. Right, I'm ready to do this. Yeah, there's that extra little bit of pressure. Um, but it's a really, really nice feeling. And it does want to like, push you to just do even better. There was times where we did a few World Series at London. And the crowd wasn't half as big, but it was still quite large. And I remember everyone cheering and we got a second place in the World Series. And when we got on that podium and they called out, from Great Britain, Tonya and Sarah, oh, it's just magical, magical. Yeah, it was phenomenal.
1: For our listeners and viewers out there, if you want to listen to the viewpoint from your diving partner, Sarah was on our second season. So definitely go back and listen to that one. Um, I want to talk, I guess, a little bit now about what comes next, because as I said, it's, it's so hard, I guess, letting go of that, especially when you went into it so young, because it wasn't like you'd made your career's choice at 15, 16, then you'd gone through sick form or maybe university and then gone, oh actually, I'm gonna do diving for a bit. You know, yeah, by the time you were early teens, you're already completely immersed in this world. So what were kind of the, the key support things that allowed you to make that transition? Who was around you and what did that kind of transition look like?
2: So um I think I'm about twenty. 20- 14 or 16 no 14 or maybe before I'm not sure I'm not sure Tom actually left Plymouth to move to London so I had already lost one of like my best friends um another friend called Brooke she didn't quite make the Olympics but she'd been to Commonwealth and World Series uh, World Events and stuff she had retired so I lost two of my good friends then Sarah retired straight after the Olympics, so I lost three of my good friends. And then I was kind of the only one there with quite the young group, which were fun. They were amazing. But, you know, I was I was an adult. And um, so I had lost my my special friends that I'd seen day in, day out. And my coach wanted to move to Australia, but he didn't want to leave until I left because he was my coach from 10 years old. He was my coach, my only coach. Yeah, I had other coaches to help out, but he was my main coach throughout my whole career. So he didn't want to just get up and leave me just to do my own thing. So I think it got to a point where we sat down, we spoke where we want to go, how long we want to do it for. And when we both stopped, we both stopped together. And a year after the Olympic Games, I decided it was time. You know, I had none of my best friends there training anymore. And it makes a huge, huge difference. He wanted to go to Australia and we just thought, you know what, this is the perfect time. And it was nice that we were able to retire together.
1: That's really, really cool. And I think it can often get underplayed even with athletes that haven't made it to the highest levels, the impact that their coach has on their journey. You know, even, you know, many of my social groups in the years of swimming I still keep in touch with the coaches and I know they do from across their years because they do have such an impact on your life. So what were the the moments you can recount of those, I guess, special moments that you mentioned about that with your parents in Beijing that you'd had with your coach across your career?
2: Yeah, oh God, where do I even start? There was just so many moments. He was like my second dad. I saw him just as much as I saw my dad, you know? Um, There was times where... He would go to a competition with just me. Say if it was just me going from Plymouth, you kind of feel like he was your like safety blanket in a way. He was like your best mate at times. And I must admit, my coach—I'm not just saying this because he's mine. He was the most relaxed, happy, funny coach out there. You know, all the other coaches are amazing and it works for them, but Andy, Andy dealt with a lot of women like. All his divers were mainly girls, apart from like Tom and a few others. So I think he understood, you know, we have a lot of motions. (laughs) We go through a lot of motions. So, yeah, he was definitely like a father figure, but they were so hard to put your finger on what was so special because he was just incredible from every session, every training session to every competition. If I did a bad dive and I was falling behind, he'd be like, don't worry about it, forget it, move on and you do and you moved on and then all of a sudden I can get back into the medals just because he was like move on if I if it weren't for Andy I don't think I'd be a free-time Olympian not at all
1: that's a really nice testament and I've got a book on my bookshelf that's got a whole chapter on Andy and some of the stuff mm. he's done over the years because and he's no way. yeah and it it was it talked a lot about it's funny you mentioned the emotional side of things because the emotional intelligence of how to support, especially developing young people because the person that walks through the door on Monday could be completely different by Wednesday. And then by the weekend, when you're at a competition, it could be different again. And obviously it wasn't, although it was one-to-one coaching, it was within a club environment. So you're juggling, you know, lots of spinning plates. And actually that's something that he appeared to do really well. And I, I find that fascinating that as a a coach, Of such a diverse group of people you know different heights different skills different age groups and actually still got some a a huge range of incredible results out of you all
2: absolutely totally agree with what you said then completely he's phenomenal he really is he really really is
1: cool well let's talk a bit about what happened next so you made that transition you finally stepped away what was that first six months like
2: um, first six months, I was like, right, I'm going to do some workouts because obviously we have to do workouts all the time, but it was planned. So mine was like, I'm going to do something completely different. I'm going to go to the gym and do this, do that. Buzzing for six months, probably, maybe maybe even a little bit more. Then all of a sudden, when it got to roughly about a year, I started to be like, oh, I'm bored because I've got no one pushing me. you know. So I stopped working out for a little bit. Um I carried on coaching because I was a coach for the young kids, which I really enjoyed. That was really, really good fun. But yeah, after a year, it's, I kind of had a bit of a, a wake up call. And I was like, oh, I have actually finished because at first it was all buzzing; Everything was new. Um, but yeah, after a while, it was like, OK, I am 27 or 28 and I've had my first job. <laughs> I, I, this is what the real world looks like. I don't know if I like it because even though diving or any sport is really really difficult and you know we have to work out twice a day every day that's all we have to do that's all we have to worry about but yeah in in the real world my mum always warned me she was like you wait till you get to the real world and I was like yeah whatever <laughs> but yeah after a year it was like okay this is it this is it um but then I started to get into beauty because I like the beauty side of things I've always been one to like do your nails or makeup or hair um so I went and did a few courses uh, for eyelash extensions um and before you know it a few years later I've got like three or four jobs <laughs> I don't stop I do not stop um but yeah it's changed massively I miss the diving but at the same time I do enjoy living in the real world
1: so talk us through what uh it looks like now so fast forward four years from the Uh, the the bubbly first six months where you think oh this is great you know I haven't got up at half past six in the morning and all that sort of stuff to to where we are now where actually you look back and think well I have come a long way and like you said you're doing lots of different things let's talk through some of those things now that perhaps four years ago you couldn't have even imagined that you'd be doing now.
2: So on lockdown um, I was doing lots and lots of workouts and posting them on my Instagram and a guy called Pete Styrins actually got hold of me from Plymouth well from Cornwall um he, kept, he got hold of me and said, would you like to join PT in your pocket? So PT in your pocket is a Facebook workout. They only see us. They just like comment and stuff. We can't see them, which is really nice for people that don't want to go to gyms or feel quite intimidated. It's really, really good platform. There's like 12 to 14 live workouts a week. And I was like, yeah, let's give this a go. It was a little bit of a wake up call doing a workout at half six in the morning from home that was completely different to what I'm used to but so I do PT in your pocket same company program 10 is a 10-week course with fitness nutrition motivational talks um live workouts pre-recorded workouts and they do like once a week check ins so I do a lot of stuff around fitness still which I love because that's just very me I do beauty from home so I have a salon in my house um and I do Real Winners Plymouth, which is basically in the PO postcode. So only the guys that are in the PO postcode, unfortunately, can play. But it's really nice because they buy a ticket for like one ninety nine. They could win a PS5 um, a weekend away and spa treatment or for like one ninety nine or something like that. And it's nice that everybody knows who the winner is because it's roughly in your area. Whereas, you know, if it's like a national competition... You never hear who the winner is. Never. So it's really nice that everybody knows everyone. And yeah, I'm pretty busy. All all I've got to do is spell in between that is walk the dog. (laughs) Yeah, which is manic because he's a big boy.
1: He is. Um, I'm, I'm a little curious because I'm picking those things there. You've gone into the world of health and beauty, which is all around details and this idea of making things as refined as possible. And you've also got this world of health and fitness and you've come off a career of where you spent a lot of time working on health and fitness and making sure the details are spot on when you're doing your diving so it almost feels like you've found that balance between I guess flexing some of those muscles if you like that you were using during your diving career in terms of focusing on details and those processes but also keeping in touch with the health industry and the fitness industry do do you feel like you've got that balance now?
2: I think so I think um this was like perfect opportunity for me. I'm so glad that they reached out to me. Um it's just something that I'm really, really into. And it's nice that I can bring something to the table that I know just the little things of like, you know, sacrifice, like this 10-week course, yeah, they want to go out and have a life. But sometimes you might have to say no because I've got this goal to achieve by this amount of times. And that's what I went through. So it's it's nice that maybe I can give them my plans or my advice and uh and just also keeping it fun you know like that's for me if i enjoyed something i wanted to do it and i was good at it because i was enjoying it and that's what i kind of want to do for these guys
1: so what's next what does the, the coming year look like we've got a home commonwealth games which i'm sure you'll be following with avid interest but what what else have you got anything in the pipeline that you think oh, i'm really looking forward to that or have you got an ambition in 10 years time that you'll be doing something else
2: No, because I've just started from lockdown doing all that. I just think keep going and I'm learning as I go on and hopefully I'm going to become better and better at it. Um, With the Commonwealth Games, gutted really, because there's just nowhere to stay in Birmingham. There's literally, all the hotels are just crazy right now. We've tried, we can't even get a ticket to watch. So a little bit gutted, I might not be there for Commonwealth Games, which is such a shame. Um, But I'm going to keep trying. We'll see. Fingers crossed be nice to watch little
1: ones. I was going to say if someone's got uh, any contacts out there now would be a great time to reach out and get in touch with you.
2: Absolutely.
1: I want to ask something finally that I guess traverses both the the diving career but also what you're doing now is around this concept of self-doubt but also external doubters as well because we are in a world where people always question people trying new things or being brave or being creative and I'm sure during your diving career, you had moments where you thought or somebody else said to you, I don't think you can do that or that's beyond your ability. How, how does that sit with you now that you're in charge of what you're doing?
2: Yeah. Um, I, I always think if you're feeling like you can't do it, why not show yourself you can do it, you know? So for example, in 2008. I Well, I'd made World Cup and World Championships for years and years, every year. And 2008 came along just before the Olympic Games. I didn't qualify for the world event because I came down in a handstand. And so I felt like I wasn't good enough. And I felt like, oh, I'm never going to make the Olympic Games now because of this and that. And then just one day, my like mum my and dad were saying, like, you can do this. You'll be silly to give up now. Just keep pushing yourself and prove that you can do it. And then one day I just thought, you know what, maybe I do doubt myself, but I want to show that I can do it. Don't, don't need to show anybody else. But I think as long as you show yourself that you are capable, don't doubt yourself, show yourself that you can do it. Anything is possible if you put your mind to it. And I want to carry on doing that as we go on in my lifestyle. If I feel like I don't want to do something, I'm scared of something. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to do this. And if I can't do it, that's fine. But I've tried, you know, and if you don't try, you don't get and you will never know where you're going to go in life if you don't try.
1: That's a really nice message. I think there's one more thing I want to ask, and especially with the, the, the rich range of things that you've done over so many years now, if you could go back 20 years to your 10 year old self and actually say, Oh, by the way, in twenty years' time, I'm going to have a salon at home. I'm going to be doing live PT workouts. I'm going to have been to three Olympic games and got all these international medals. Would you, well, number one? Would you have believed yourself and knowing everything? Know. You, you, <laughs> but now knowing everything that you do know and having experienced all of that, what would you say to that ten-year-old girl looking forwards?
2: Yeah, I would definitely have not have believed someone if they said that. um But yeah, looking forwards. Just to take it all in because it goes so fast. I did it for 18 years and looking back now, I feel like I've blinked and it's completely over. Um, So take every little moment in, appreciate what you're doing. There was times where, you know, I was in China for a month, missing home, feeling like, oh, I just want to go home. I should have enjoyed every moment I had because there was times where, you know, you do want to go home. Um, But also think about what my future was gonna hold you know like I was so in the zone I forgot that there is a life after diving um we had so much opportunity to have someone pay for courses after courses and and if you don't do it that year that money just is completely gone and deleted you know so I do wish that I did quite a few courses because all the courses I've done myself I could have had them paid for (laughs) But um yeah, I would never have believed it if someone told me that you had have achieved what you've achieved. Never in my wildest dreams.
1: But you've done it and it's possible it. and <laughs> and you've equipped yourself i guess with a set of tools that means the next 10 20 30 years are going to be equally exciting and perhaps different avenues but actually really exciting ones nonetheless so that's a really nice way to put it all together Tonya, thank you so much for your time and um, we'll make sure we include the links to your socials yes. and everything else that you're up to in the show notes where everyone can follow up but uh yeah thank you so much for your time it's been great uh,
2: thank you so so much that was awesome
0: What a great insight that was into the mind of someone who really has had a fascinating journey. A huge thank you again there to Tonya for sharing some time with us. Be sure to give Tonya a follow on Instagram, the link to which we've included in our show notes. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and if you have, please give us a quick rate and review as we would really appreciate it. As always, a big thank you to both Luke Sugden and Carter Richardson for their help in producing the podcast. As we look forward, we've only got one more episode to come in 2021. And what a year it's been. We started the year in a lockdown and since then we've released more than 30 shows from inspiring people all around the world. We will be finishing the year with a fascinating conversation about some mind bending technology that is making more and more inroads into sports, business and the wider world. Be sure to join us for our 60th episode, and in the meantime, thank you again so much for joining us for another episode of the Road Monkey Podcast.